0: One, zero. Two later. Rendezvous points and radio freaks are indicated and fixed. AWACS contact on four-hour intervals. Who's our backup? No such thing, old buddy. This is a one-way ticket. Once we cross that border, we're on our own. This is
1: getting better than a minute.
2: Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John. I'm Aaron. Uh, With us today is our first ever guest, Jeff. Hi there. Jeff is a buddy of mine from The Teaching Biz. Yes, thank you for
1: having me on. I'm very excited to be here with you two.
2: Awesome. Thanks for for being here. Before we start analyzing Minute 8, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, We just had some quick questions for you. Um, Sure. One being, what is your history with this movie, Predator?
1: Uh... This is a movie that I can't actually remember the very first time that I saw it, but it sits in my mind as one of these uh, films from my early childhood that it was like one of the first R-rated movies I ever saw, uncut, right?
2: Oh, sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, like I I have a distinct memory of seeing uh, RoboCop for the first time when I was probably around seven or eight, like way too young to see that movie. And... Right. <laughs> And Predator is in that same uh, zone where I remember seeing it um, maybe at a friend's house. Uh, I was way too young, obviously, yeah. but um, we we snuck a viewing anyway. And it's just always sat in my heart as one of my favorite action movies. Um, I've seen it many, many times since, and uh, I'm very excited to talk about it with you guys today.
2: Awesome. Just a couple more things I want to ask. Uh, how about what is your favorite line from the movie?
1: I I was thinking about that, and you know when I was a kid it was definitely like the stick around, you know, like the classic Arnold quip. But as I got older, especially in in more recent viewings, just anything Jesse Ventura says is gold, particularly when he talks about himself as a sexual tyrannosaurus. Because one, I don't know what that is. But two, I really want to find out. (laughs) (laughs)
2: awesome um and just over the last time you viewed this i think you told me either a week or two ago you watched the whole thing through again i was wondering did you have anything like any one thing that particularly stood out to you over the last viewing
1: yeah you know just as now kind of an older movie watcher uh as an adult I i really appreciated the visual storytelling of the film you know, there's a lot of sections of this movie that have very little dialogue um, and yet it never seems boring. The story moves right along. Um, I love the shot compositions. The action sequences are, are spot on. So I guess just as a you know, from the perspective of filmmaking I, I was pretty impressed watching it again later in life. Those things, you know, you don't really notice when you're younger.
2: Right. Just in those first four minutes that Aaron and I recorded, uh, you have the credits playing and you have action going on in the background but nobody's saying anything. They don't... We don't hear the first line of dialogue until the beginning of the fourth minute in the movie. Right. So yeah, it really goes to show how John McTiernan really, really was was pushing just visual storytelling. And when we talk about the script differences over the last few minutes, um, it seems like just every time there's a change from the script to the movie, it's always just some kind of like a line of dialogue here or there just being cut in favor of uh, the mm. visuals.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah, it comes yeah. through really well because, you know, in too many movies, I feel like things are just hand to you, right? Mm-hmm. Which is unnecessary. We can, we can see these characters, we can see their expressions, the way they act, the handful of small things they say, and we immediately know a lot about them which I really appreciate. Right.
2: Okay, so I guess I'll open minute eight here. Minute eight of Predator opens with Mac shaking his head no to Blaine's tobacco offer and ends with the second chopper, Dutch's chopper's augmented view screen showing the lead chopper. And there's quite a bit to talk about here with the different characters and I I think we'll just dive right in. Jeff, do you have, since you're the guest, do you have um, a particular topic you want to start us off on?
1: Well, right at the beginning of this minute, of course, we have Blaine, Jesse Ventura, offering everyone chewing tobacco, uh, of course, everyone refusing. Uh, and then he himself takes an unnaturally large <laughs> pinch of <laughs> chewing tobacco and puts it in his mouth and then proceeds to chew it like chewing gum, which is quite disconcerting. I don't know how you guys feel about this. Seems fine to me. (laughs) (laughs) So... My experience, so I don't know, do you, when you guys were in, were in high school, were there a lot of, like, kids in your high school that used tobacco products, like cigarettes?
2: Uh, I knew a few who would chew and, like, you'd find their, uh, spit in the water fountain sometimes, for gross.
1: Right. So when I was in high school, I only, like, knew kids that smoked, uh, and it wasn't until I was in college that I even, like, encountered anyone that used chewing tobacco. And in my mm. experience, right, you just take, like, a small little bit and you put it inside your lip and sort of let it sit there is is there is this a different type of chewing tobacco i'm unaware of that you actually chew you
2: know i i do not know aaron do you have some input on chewing tobacco here i think this guy's trying to get all amped yeah 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 i think it's a mix honestly of just probably something a lot of people in the military would do because there's probably a lot of downtime from uh different people i've heard You know, if we talk about the military, they have this inhuman (laughs) uh, wait times between like any kind of Action they're taking, whatever the field they're in. Right. And so, one thing you could do to pass the time, I guess, is let your body absorb <laughs> obscene amounts of uh, chemicals from the, the tobacco. But yeah, that is, <laughs> that is a crazy amount. It's, it's basically a mouthful that you, yeah, you wouldn't be able to really talk past. If right. you are immortal. But.
1: It reminds me of when, like, you were a kid and you took, like, a big handful of, like, the big league chew, right? The, yeah. the chewing gum out of the pouch. Big league chew. Like, it looked. yeah, like it looks like that. I have a friend who's a pilot in the Air Force, and so what you're saying makes sense, and he says a lot of pilots will chew because you obviously you can't smoke while you're, right. while you're flying, so I can see why that would be a thing in the military. <laughs> right. um,
2: and he he does go on to offer it to Mac in this minute. Mac says no, but we don't see him offering the other couple of characters he offers it to until next minute, so we're going to hold off on that whole exchange. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of his signatures. If you, if you think about Blaine in this movie, Jesse Ventura, you can't help but think about uh, the minigun in the tobacco and his lines, like his his character is just so well put together as like this character, it's, it's pretty great. And um, right. in, in fact, his. Chewing tobacco is not, um, is not something that he had to, you know, adapt to. It's something that he has been doing for years, according to this interview I saw with Graham Benzinger. Mm. At the time, he, um, he was going to these auditions, particularly the Predator for one, and they asked him, hey, do you chew tobacco? Because of this character, as written, chews tobacco, and he says that he pulls out a couple different kinds, Copenhagen and Red Man, that he's been chewing for 20 years. So any chewing, spitting, shoving in his mouth tobacco is is purely natural um, for this film.
1: Well, it's great. Um, it is, fits his character because everything he does and says is kind of over the top. So it would make sense that he chews an unusually large amount of tobacco at a time.
2: Yeah. Aaron, anything on Big Man Blaine? <laughs> He's a great character. Great character. Um, I have a little bit of, of information from Xenopedia PDF. Reference Enopedia in the past. It's the encyclopedia for all things alien and predator because they share a universe as we know. They made some great movies like Aliens vs. Predator and Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. Ooh. <laughs> Not the, yeah. <laughs> when I say great, I just mean they made
0: <laughs>
2: Blaine uh, is actually Sergeant Blaine Cooper. He joined Dutch's private military team in 1980. Um, he served with Mac, Mac Elliott, his close friend as in this movie um, and also the first person he offers the tobacco to Uh, he served with Mac in the Vietnam War in the 101st Airborne Division, who is known for their air assault operations, uh, meaning that aircraft drops them behind enemy lines and they work to disrupt enemy communications, supplies. In this case, we see them (laughs) disrupt an entire guerrilla camp. (laughs) Uh, So this is this is all just old hat for him. Yeah, this is old hat. This is this is what he's been training for. This is what he's been doing as a as a lifelong military man. And one little bit of background about he and Matt serving, and Mac references this a little bit later in the movie, but they served in in the Vietnam War at
1: the Battle of Khe Sanh. Mm. Does all this background info come out of, like, the novelization? Of the, of Predator,
2: yeah, a lot of it comes out of the novelization. Um I interesting. was
1: wondering myself,
2: and when I looked on Xenopedia, it references the novelization, which I haven't read yet. But it would be interesting. It would be interesting to see how deep into the descriptions they go.
1: Yeah. Hey, I met. I saw in your notes that you mentioned uh in his interview he talks about Jean Claude Van Damme. Were we going to bring that up? He mentions that JCVD was an original cast member of this movie.
2: Yes, Aaron, do you want to talk about that? I think we referenced it a couple times. So. Far, but uh, we haven't gone in depth with it. I'm not ready to go over the full the full scope of Jean Claude. Uh, what have you heard, Jeff?
1: Well, he was originally supposed to play the Predator. Is that true?
2: And he was cast as the Predator. There's photos of him all all. And then the whole getup. Wow, yeah. and Pretty hilarious.
1: Ventura the claims that on the set, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Ventura claims that he uh, was complaining a lot, and uh, eventually was fired from the cast over concerns that you never got to see his face, and the suit was uncomfortable. Just gave me visions of like sad JCVD, like sitting in the Predator suit, like eating a, a cold ham sandwich from Craft Services. <laughs> do you think he yeah, just do you think he t- just sat doing the splits in the predator suit eating that ham sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> that's how he, relaxes. This is how he relaxes. That's his <laughs> resting. That's his resting position. That's his tobacco. Oh, yeah. The
2: only, the only photo of him, he's looking not super happy. Mm. <laughs> it's like the sad that's Keanu a really publicized meme. Publicized photo of him on the set, uh, <laughs> looking a little sad. Yeah. I was thinking of the uh, of his role in uh, his sort of semi autobiographical movie JCBD. Did you guys see that? Oh, that's great. That uh, was a pretty fun movie, and uh, there's a couple scenes in it where he's uh sort of breaks the fourth wall uh just looks directly into the camera and talks about his life and parts of it where he just looks like so forlorn that, yeah, it's easy for me to imagine him being kind of mopey. Yeah. In <laughs> yeah, yeah. a situation that he doesn't like.
1: Well, he was still trying to break out at that point, right? Because he had done a handful of canon yeah, films well, in the early 80s. Yeah, before
2: Kickboxer or before uh, Bloodsport rather, which was right. his, big, uh, his big breakout movie. Yeah, um, he
1: had done like No Retreat, No Surrender. I remember that one from the early 80s. But I think he played a bad guy in that film and he hadn't he hadn't really broken out his Jean-Claude Van Damme as we know him yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: no, it was, yeah, really his first big breakout was I think it was the next year mm. Bloodsport. No, I think that's
1: right cuz Bloodsport was 87 I believe and then he went on to do, you know, like Kickboxer, Cyborg, Death Warrant and that's really all those he made all those through canon Films and then, you know, you get into the 90s when he really kind of took off.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bloodsport was 88 so the very next year after Put-
1: oh, Okay, there you go. I just yeah, thought that yeah. was interesting. I had never heard that before and uh it's it's funny to hear Jesse Ventura's uh, Yeah,
2: there's a lot a. There's a lot into that and I think we'll probably go into it deeper in a, in a later podcast. That could probably be a podcast in and of itself. Uh, awesome. There's a lot of funny stories that mm-hmm. are of unknown veracity out there describing his involvement with the movie. Yeah. Oh, uh, well, let me, uh, let me oh, go go ahead. jump in briefly with Blaine. So if he was in 100, you mentioned a couple things. So 101st, that's kind of a big deal. They're, uh, if you guys saw Band of Brothers, uh, you remember that was the, uh, the story of the 101st airborne through World oh. War to and uh uh, so they they have a lot of history in that unit, Screaming Eagles. Yeah. And then if they, and if you say in the novelization they were veterans of Khe San, that's also a big deal. Khe San was something that kind of loomed large in Vietnam War history. <laughs> you guys remember the uh, Spring Ting Song, born in the USA? Yeah, of course. So the uh, there's a line in there about how he had a brother at Khe Sanh, uh, just because it was, I think, a very defining kind of battle in Vietnam in that it cost a lot of men, a lot of resources to hold this firebase called Khe San. On. They were besieged for uh, something like over a year. I want to say Jeez. the Marines there. It's where Norman Schwarzkopf really uh, made his name as a, as a battlefield leader because he was a uh, he was a very high ranking officer at the time, but chose to be right there at the base fighting with the men. And then they held out at this place for a long time, suffered large amounts of casualties, pouring in reinforcements and and you know doing all of these you know, air and artillery fire, all these different things there. And then they once they secured it, they packed up and left. <laughs> <laughs> was like emblematic of how a lot of the things in Vietnam went, where they just expended all these resources and it was incredibly unclear what the purpose of, of doing so was. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of the Vietnam War American involvement, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if these guys were, were are veterans of, of a unit like the 101st and of battles like Kaseon then uh, obviously they're pretty tough on race. The 101st has its own Wikipedia page and its own legacy. It's yeah, it's, it's it seems like quite a formidable uh, unit like it's just like legendary apparently with like you were saying um the World War II battles and Quezon mentioned there. They also mentioned Hamburger Hill as being one of the uh, battles in present day Iraq and Afghanistan operations, uh, the counterterrorism arm of, of the military there. So next, after Blaine is taking his pull of tobacco, uh, we see Jorge Pancho Ramirez taping down something on his backpack and then throwing that roll of tape to Rick Hawkins, the radio operator. And Rick Hawkins doesn't even look up
1: from his reading in order to catch uh, the tape in midair showing mm. some lightning fast references. Now, what is them. Hawkins reading in that scene I, I see in your notes that you wrote down it was a comic book i thought it was maybe a newspaper which begged the yeah. question where did he get a newspaper
2: <laughs> i don't think any of these characters are would be real big on newspapers right
1: but. checking out the local sports scores from central america
2: book, I mean, much more believable <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, I think, yeah, I think it's, this is more akin to a magazine, whereas in the credits we see him reading the, the Sergeant Rock comic book. Mm. Um, but but here, yeah, it looks more like a, a periodical, <laughs> a magazine. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think if anybody's reading, it's probably Dylan, I'm if guessing. I had to guess. He's a CIA and he's all about that paperwork, all about those files.
1: That's right. Oh, I was there. thinking
2: that uh, Hawkins seemed like a reader, penthouse, or playboy. <laughs> 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 like that somewhere where, where they print a letter. Dirty jokes yeah um, there you go yeah, maybe that's oh huh, that's a good point maybe he's like reading. Maybe right he here. read it he was reading uh, right there mm. Gosh, that's the canon. That's the new canon. I need to go to Zita Pita. That's okay, right. Hold hold on. He's, he's
1: reading like the little like New Yorker style dirty jokes, but in, in the Hustler magazine or whatever. <laughs> that's
2: right. <laughs> he's the one guy who reads the articles. That's, that's the one guy. We found him. <laughs> exactly. Reads it for the articles. I do like the fact that it shows him as having some positive physical attribute in the movie. Yeah. I think because he's the first one to die, you sort of uh what? it would be easy for them to show him as being like some particularly useless soldier, right? As being the, the first one to die being the mediocre guy or the the guy who's weak in some way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but they I show think him catching
2: the trying to show here that Even Hawkins, who's not particularly notable as being like
1: a giant of a man like some of these other guys are, is still supposed to be a good soul friend. Yeah, he's got the cat-like reflexes. He's also the levity, right? Like he's got the jokes. Keeps everything light, right? We're sad to see him go.
2: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Once he goes, there are no more jokes in the movie. That's it's right. There's one. There's one terribly corny line when Arnold is battling the Predator, where he's yeah. It's just like what? I don't. Why is that in there? You don't. You don't need that in there. It just makes it a little bit cammy for Mm -hmm. half a second. But really, essentially, there's no more humor in the movie after after he's gone. That's pretty much true. Well, A lot of levity leaves, obviously, also then when people start, uh, dying in gruesome ways.
1: Dying brutal deaths. (laughs)
2: That's right. The, uh, I also like that this scene in general is showing a lot of camaraderie between all of them, mm. uh, which I like cause there's, a, and I like that there's a mixture of them telling jokes to each other and obviously sharing some kind of inside, inside kind of history with each other, but they also obviously rib each other quite a bit. So with Blaine calling everybody. The, uh, <laughs> might be tempted to think that they like really despise each other, but obviously they don't. And I think they're just trying to show kind of some kind of a natural way these guys all interact with each other. And I thought this was a, this was a good way of doing that. Especially because it didn't require any dialogue.
1: Right. Yeah. It goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Just in this, in this one minute or two minutes of them in the helicopter, again, you start to flesh out the characters, you know, exactly who these guys are, what their personalities are, and it comes across really well, and it's a really efficient use of, of the film.
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. The lines don't even belong to Poncho or Hopkins or Mac or Blaine in this minute. It's just a, uh, it's just an exchange between Dylan and Dutch, which will talk about a little bit later once we are done talking about these characters. I I, I can give a little bit of background about what the Xenopedia tells us about Poncho and Hawkins now that we talked about, Blaine. Um, So before I do, just real quick, uh, Blaine is, I guess they don't give in Xenopedia, they don't give Blaine a title of like an expert or whatnot, um, but He's obviously like the heavy weaponry, I don't know what you'd call it. Um He's carrying the minigun, so he's, he's essentially like the tank of the group. <laughs> he had to designate roles um, because Pancho, known as Jorge Pancho Ramirez, is the explosives expert of mm. the group. In fact, he's carrying around with him in the movie, and we'll talk about this later, when we talk about IMDb firearms, but he's carrying around uh, a grenade launcher, heavily modified for the movie, in fact, invented for the movie, grenade launcher. <laughs> Poncho was born and raised in Houston, Texas. He also joined Dutch's team in 1980, which to me, with I'm seeing this 1980 date pop up again and again, Um, that must mean that Dutch formed the team in 1980. And he saw action with Dutch's team in Angola, Cambodia, Lebanon, Afghanistan, Berlin, as they talked about a couple minutes ago, where they rescued some hostages. In the Xenopedia, it mentions. Afghanistan has particularly difficult times. also Afghanistan? trying to forget it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> is that the line? As they say later in the movie, I've been trying to forget. I'm trying to forget. Okay. Yeah. I think you've asked me a couple times, and <laughs> clearly I've forgotten. Okay, you can't remember bad. the line. <laughs> <laughs> i <I've literally> forgotten Afghanistan. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they do show really. Afghanistan, so it's kind of all in the imagination. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of these, yeah. Even you know, Brian, like the fact that it's labeled an explosives expert. I <laughs> <laughs> <yeah. laughs> explosives <laughs> in this yeah. movie are not particularly sophisticated.
1: Yeah, yeah fact, I was like wondering the, about the that most myself.
2: Sophisticated, like, explosive actual tools they have them. They typically just end up, like, <laughs> lobbying kind of indiscriminately. <laughs> into, <laughs> To large groups of people, but like it, very, very sophisticated and complex use of explosives in this movie. The, uh, with the exception of at the very end when Arnold gets on MacGyver with his explosives, but the, uh, but up till that point, I would have a hard time calling any of these guys explosives and experts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, you can imagine them being like, "Hey, Poncho, you're the expert. What do I do with this?" And he's just like, "I don't know. Just chuck it." <laughs> <laughs> Throw it Throw it at the bad guys. What do you think you do with it? Into the into,
0: <laughs> into the enemy soldiers. <laughs> it seems like an incredibly
2: in, ineffective way to use that weapon, <laughs> especially especially with the camp you know uh, potentially holding hostages that they're trying to rescue. <laughs> just firing little palapas there. Yeah, he's firing off satchel charges and like firing grenade launchers into every direction, throwing grenades, detonating mines, just with complete disregard for <laughs> whoever's on the receiving end. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say the last thing about Poncho is that he's kind of our gateway into understanding what's going on because he talks to Anna quite a bit in Spanish. But then even after he does that, he's not, according to Dylan, translating everything like he should be. He's right. He's, he becomes like an unreliable narrator and that's understandable in the situation they find themselves in later. That's mm, so very good. But yeah, so you said uh, you had some information on Hawkins also. Not a ton. Even less is written about Hawkins in the book, which Made it to Xenopedia. All I have about him is he is the radio operator. He was born in Boston, Massachusetts, and he has. Less combat experience as other members, which I imagine. i don't know, watching these guys. It makes it seem like the more combat experience <laughs> you have, like just the more swole you become. So maybe if he <laughs> has more combat experience. He's going to be as big as Billy or Flame <laughs> or a weather weatherstripper. <laughs> <Dutch. That's> right. <laughs> just like looking right. at them, like yeah, just just a few more years, guys, and I'll be as big as you, right? I'm sure. Well, so we'll that be. means he joined when he was 18, because because Shane Black's 25 and when they made this movie. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty young age to become a mercenary, Yeah, know. He must have had some formative experiences as a youth. Well, I got him T- Hawkins. To add. This, is, this is the time to do it. Unless you want to save it for next minute when he tells his dirty joke. Ooh, yeah. We'll have to hang on till then. Okay. Stick around, okay? <clears throat> I get it. <laughs> <laughs> what is Poncho actually taping down? Any guesses? Mm.
1: It, no. It looks like putting it on his backpack. Is that
2: true? The script says that he's taping camouflage onto his backpack. It's I feel like
1: the all the done. camouflage that they're putting on in general is really unnecessary. I mean, they don't really... You know, we can talk about it more later, but they don't really sneak up on the village. I mean, they kind of do, but then, like we said, they just lob a bunch of grenades and it turns into a giant shit show. Right. It looks cool. It does look cool. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It just it mentally prepares them, I suppose.
2: All well, that matters they just... They're just prepping their gear more and more. Uh, You get some nice uh,
1: exterior shots of the helicopters flying around. That's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Filmed in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. Other thing, we we talked a lot about helicopters from the last minute, but uh, we've left a couple things off. So one thing I've found since then was that evidently these are UH-1 in variant Iroquois, and uh, they came in this common Air Force Special Operations configuration that matches pretty well exactly what we see on the gunship with the rocket pods and the many guns sticking out of the doors. The UH-1 N a little bit different is that it's twin-engine, so it's quite a bit more powerful than any of the Huey variants that came before Right, I mean, you need those twin engines to carry that much (laughs) tobacco? (laughs) That much (laughs) beef. Uh, uh, so is the is the gunship also twin engine? Yeah, so they're both great. Okay. UH and one of the common variants is this uh, Air Force special operations configuration that is what I've read, the description is pretty much identical to what you see in the gunship in this movie. Okay. And then the other one is obviously not a gunship, but it is also a twin engine UH one in Iroquois that's just set up to carry these guys around. But I mean it's still you could be called a gunship there carrying a minigun and <laughs> like an M six. And, just, it's,
0: I'll
2: Arnold
1: Schwarzenegger's biceps those are guns right yeah.
2: yeah I don't know what would be heavier would be like their chopper that they're in with all of them or with like the hundreds of pounds of weaponry and right, guns and ammo in the gunship I don't know it, it would be a toss-up honestly between the two but that's okay we're not <laughs> we're, we don't need to worry about that that's for let's talk about the layout Okay. first Cause I think there's more, more input that we could potentially have on the, uh, on the symbolism, which I think is, is good. So you drew a really good diagram,
0: and it shows,
2: I think. <laughs> Thank you. And you put it in. It shows pretty well exactly how, uh, what people are, are, how they're, uh, how they're oriented in the, in the helicopter. But I think one thing that's worth pointing out, and this was the case in every UEI I ever rode in, uh, was seats never face inward. Everything's facing out. The helicopter is built to be Built for people to leave. Oh, right? interesting. Like, <laughs> the idea is not to sit in there and look at each other. <laughs> the idea <laughs> is, to, is to sit in it for the minimum amount of time before you can get the heck out.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: the, uh, uh, so there's nothing between you and the door. And so, uh, you have seats, uh, uh well, so let's start at the front. So you got pilot and co pilot, right? Mm-hmm. Directly behind pilot and co pilot is bulkhead, there's metal and electronics and crap like that. And then, so facing Opposite the, uh, uh the opposite direction of the pilots is going to be a row of seats. There's usually four or five, mm. uh, seats, so facing the, facing aft, facing the rear of the helicopter. Right. And, and then opposite them is going to be another row of seats facing forward, uh, so they would be looking over the pilot's shoulders. Okay. The pilot, co pilot shoulders. And the, uh, I think standards four facing forward, five facing backward, and then uh, and then the way the inn is laid out is they have, uh, a little bit of space to the sides and going backwards, uh, from there. And that's really well, you can see that, that, that sort of cutout shape really easily in the, just in this minute because when, uh, Blaine is looking over his shoulder at Mac, uh, he's sort of looking back, further back in the helicopter. And in that, in that little cubby area is where, uh, Mac is sitting. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, So everyone is in one of those sort of two lines, basically, either in the rear of the helicopter looking forward or uh, forward uh, in the helicopter looking looking aft. Okay. So th- you had it absolutely right on who's front, who's in back, though. The thing that makes it a little bit confusing in this minute is Ramirez is moving around. Yeah. Conscious Hans- character is moving around, so you can't. It's not always obvious exactly who's supposed to be where. So in, in, particular, where he throws the tape, mm-hmm. it looks kind of odd because he's throwing it like across the helicopter. And yet seconds later, it's, you're looking at Arnold and Carl Weathers talking to each other. Right. And, uh, and you can see really plainly that Ramirez is on the, is on the opposite side of them from, from Shane Black's character, from Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Right. And like so they're like, they're the same directly in between. And them. Them. And, yeah. They're exactly the same rows. There's, they couldn't have done that tape throw. And they're sitting in that row or else they would have hit
0: Arnold in the head with the tape.
2: <laughs> yeah. He would have been a- upset. Uh, we we just, <laughs> found, just found a, a goof, I think. He so yeah, I think what happened is that they recorded Carl Weathers lines, like, while Poncho was there and then for um, the interactive scenes that Poncho was supposed to be, like, right next to, right, Blaine and Mac, like you're saying, in the cross from um, Hawkins, I think it's not necessarily a goof maybe he is moving around in the back of the helicopter also that would be that would not be recommended i know they used to complain to us all the time like if you would so much as like shift your weight around in your seat to get upset talk about it throwing off the balance of the aircraft presumably they don't want you moving around a lot in the back but there's
1: no reason you couldn't be what do you guys make of uh mac just being isolated kind of sitting back there by himself
2: mac. It's a good question. I think he is just off in his own world. Uh, we see him not really able to handle the reality of what's happening later on. I Think the guy's, you know, I think he has some issues mentally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> that wow. Was, that's my that's my own interpretation. Goodness. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, he's so I stoic back there. Such
2: harsh words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mac, I just thought he was just like so many of the people I knew. Played football with in high school that just didn't want to Talk to people for the game They just were mm-hmm. uh, Wanted to sort of do their own Prep in their own minds Before they went in and did whatever their job was
1: I think that's yeah. a good interpretation Aaron, I agree, I, I always kind of felt He was back there, he's more of a stoic character Anyway, so he's back there in his own Head, trying to mentally prepare I think that's I think right. that's what we take In away. his own
2: head, see, all roads lead oh. to Me being right or a Questions of his wrong. sanity <laughs> 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 He's, he's you think he's already sort of uh really set up for the insanity that he shows later in the movie? Is that what you're saying? I mean, he is shaving, right? I mean, like, look at that. He's, he's not. Man's not. Man's not well. He's shaving twice in the span of a few hours, right?
1: Ugh. Yeah, he does love to <laughs> shave. It's true. He
2: loves to shave that. But I don't think <laughs> I've ever heard that before. <laughs> I, I think I read it in like you know. Why? see so you're holding his shaving habit against him? I think a lot more than you're holding. Jesse Ventura's chewing habit. Mm. Maybe if he was like, while he's shaving, he was like, kind of holding the razor out to people, like, you want to shave? Like, you want to shave? <laughs> <laughs> and then call <laughs> them all techniques? <laughs> or just call them all like, you know, like Neanderthals or like ha- hairy monsters or something like that. Like, a bunch of Harry and the Hendersons exactly, around here. Exactly. That would make you more normal, right? I guess. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I, it wouldn't. I'm just saying. I'm going to go ahead and say I think you're reading into it more than, more than you should. But I will say that I think you're right that I'm sure they're all a little bit damaged by years of combat exposure. I'm sure that's not good for
1: your psyche. Yeah.
2: So I just, yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I, I was, uh, going to bring up the the conversation between Arnold and Carl Weathers, uh, if we're ready to get into that. But if you guys have anything else to say about the the seating chart, I'll let you finish. <laughs> I wonder if they decided
2: on it beforehand. Where do they just all pile in? <laughs> I think, well, are I we think overthinking this maybe a little more than we should? Perhaps uh, a little I bit. I don't know. I think there's a little bit of purpose there, but I'll talk about it next. Time when I want to talk about the whole symbolism, because then I'm going to talk seat buddies. <laughs> <laughs> all right, go ahead about the <laughs> dialogue. Well, so I I do think oh, it's a, cool. what you said about Mac. I want to just briefly Mac. touch on it one more time. That every one of the characters in this movie, except for Hawkins. Probably just because he doesn't get a chance, shows at least one moment where they're clearly kind of uh, reflecting. Yeah, they're, they're like you were saying, they're all damaged from years of combat experience. It's going to do a lot to the psyche, but yeah, also give a lot of demons. Um to be carrying around with, you know, that I forget what they call it, it's like survivor's guilt, right? And they've talked about it a couple times in there, or they talk about it a couple times in the background here and later on in the movie about, right, being just a couple of those survivors out of these big battles. Except for Blaine, I don't think he feels a lot of those kind of feelings. <laughs> no, no. I think no. He, feels he, feels very care he has very
1: little emotion.
2: just choose on it, that's what he does. Hey! Um,
1: <laughs> and we, we in this scene, learn that uh, they're essentially on their own, right? There, there is no backup.
2: Like, I mean, it's 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 pretty plain and straightforward that we're just being told for the their communication that right, they're they're on their own as a team until they're extracted. So there's no them if they need it.
1: Well, I think it it but goes to our bigger point that we were talking about how this movie really unfolds and lets the viewer just uh, take in what's happening, and it's not explained to you too much. So mm-hmm. we haven't learned a whole lot about, we don't really know where they are in the world other than it's somewhere in Central America. We're slowly right. learning who these characters are. And now we're dropped this little tidbit that, oh yeah, you're all by yourself. You're going to the middle of nowhere. If you get in trouble, there's going to be no one to help you. And it, I think that they just do a really good job of building this, uh, kind of sense of dread. You know, something bad is going to be coming up soon. You're not quite sure what it is. And all that is conveyed, you know, in this very short amount of time. So right. I, I, again, I just feel like the efficiency And the storytelling and Especially in the first half Of this movie Leading up to the Really good job with that
2: Yeah totally mm-hmm. um, I like what you're saying About right Like they're Quickly telling us that the team's going to be alone, meaning anything they come up, they come up against. Like we as an audience are not going to expect, at at any rate, um, some kind of rescue from above to happen or some good guys to bust out of the jungle and help them out. It's it's very much we're going into this with that team knowing that you know if they come across trouble, it's on them to handle that trouble. Yeah, like he says. <laughs> no such thing as back,
1: right? And and it also I mean, establishes it was, that later on, once Arnold is is by himself, no one knows about it, right? He's just completely on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. Sorry, I think this Aaron is also person. a continuation of his uh, of him sort of relying on Mac leading him into the. Si- or, I'm sorry, relying on Dylan leading him into the situation. Dylan, Dylan, and, uh, <laughs> and a little bit more foreshadowing that things are are continuing to go not the way he would want it to be, not any kind of a safe or well-constructed operation, that it's uh, just him rolling along with his friend Dylan, who he's expecting to lead him well and keep him safe. Even though he doesn't have obviously all the information about what's going on, yeah. But you you would think would be like I don't know in- intimidating for someone holding that truth away from the rest of the team is right. He's he's definitely outnumbered and outgunned if if they become hostile towards him for for holding that from him. But he's yeah
1: mm-hmm. either that's brave or well you start to realize that you can't quite trust dylan just in this conversation because already he has made it clear that he hasn't given them the full story and he's only mm-hmm. handing out small bits of information as he feels like they should get it right so right mm-hmm. right right then it's kind of the moment i i feel like in the movie when your allegiance to uh to dylan dylan is uh dylan dylan is compromised right so you kind of realize no, he's, I, he's not quite the good guy
2: Compromised in the beginning, mm-hmm. uh, just simply by introducing him as a CIA agent, it's definitely like right. Yeah, we, we talked for a good chunk of our minute, last minute about uh, just the I don't know the the some of the bungles and the the divisiveness of the CIA and other intelligence. Gathering arms of the government and how, Yeah, Aaron had a good, a good rant, and I had some research to <laughs> back to. So it. Was, it, was, it was good. It was, it was I thought you me. were going to cut that.
1: Fix it in post. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 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 Fix it in post. <laughs> all
1: right. Well, that's all I had about their their conversation. Okay. Uh, I do think you need to use that as your slogan. I'm just throwing that out there. Your tagline. Getting better by the minute. Ah, uh, totally. That's a good point. I could, Yeah, I can totally alter there the it
2: graphic. I can. <laughs> if, anything, I can just, if anything, I can just put that on the editor-minute graphic that goes out like, this is getting better by the minute. Right, or like there that. you go.
1: And we don't get much after, after that conversation. We get another, you know, exterior shot of the helicopters and then it just pans over to that night vision looking screen. Yeah. Online, and that's the end of the minute. Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I'm just kind of down to my last scraps of notes here and I can talk about whatever the face paint. Later when Billy's I think we already him, did huh? talk a little bit about this. Man. Oh, did we? We talked about how Max not wearing any. It looks like Blaine has kind of like maybe a. Well, I think Jeff shot brought up, up. the idea that what's the point of it? Right. We right. said was, it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cool. <laughs> I think I think each each character each actor probably was just deciding for their character what it would what would look coolest. Yeah. Or what would look most characteristic. For, for their particular character, and that's what they did. It's um, like football put
1: players up, putting up, on sure. eye black, right? And like some right. of the players will just like sh- put eye black all over their face, and it's just part of their getting ready ritual. Same right. idea.
2: Same. Well, in theory, you could put some camouflage on that would, I think, be really useful The uh, depending on what exactly you're doing. But obviously, these guys are not being super uh, sophisticated with the way they apply
1: it. Yeah, they're not in right. stealth mode.
2: Right, they're not like in the <laughs> in Killy suits and stuff like that, and holding like the yeah. exactly. Well, it's they do. The it's
1: on it's funny. They like they do both. Right, they sneak up all stealthy, and then when they decide to act, <laughs> they just hurl explosives,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they stand up in the open in the camps. It's like, it's <laughs> right. it's like yeah, I can see you. The, the camouflage is not really helping you at that
1: point. <laughs> I can't wait till you guys get to that scene. They got some great like guys flying through the air, yes. explosions, right? Like oh, yeah. obviously they That's were standing Vaxley on a right springboard there. and then hit the button and just shot them yep. up.
2: <laughs> That's some A-team. Oh, fantastic! Right hey, sure. yeah. yeah. really—I think it is. I think Baxley was. It is the A-team. Yeah, oh, you're right. Uh, okay, I think the last couple things I have for here, it just kind of trivial points is that long tall sally that started last minute runs only through this minute only through the next minute and a few seconds into the next minute after that and that adds up to about three minutes ten seconds and this song originally is only a couple seconds more than two minutes so they're repeating some places but uh, they're repeating some parts of the song but you don't really notice because there's a lot of good uh, riffs and in the middle of the song, um, and last thing I had was the red interior lighting. Aaron, I think you mentioned to this after we recorded uh, last time. Um, I was wondering why red and you were coming back to, well, there's a lot of red and green in this movie. Those, those are kind of like the, you know, the, the, the color scheme of this movie. A lot of jungle green, arterial red. <laughs> and so the red fits in, in that quite a bit. And I was wondering how do they see the red markings on the map in red lighting? And that's answered right here with Dylan using a flashlight to, to better see those markings. <laughs> yep. Mm. Um, oh, uh, one other note about Longfall Sally. Uh, they play that during the credits of the third. I guess pure Predator movie, Predators. Right. The, uh, Adrian Brody. Kind of
1: they of play the, that uh, in Predators? That's great. I've never noticed that.
2: I have not seen the movie. I had to read that. Ah. Uh, I was told that it plays in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm a fan of no, Predators. That's, it's, that's uh, bad. that's not a
2: bad one. Uh, but in our effort to beat this dead horse as much as we can. Do it. Uh, the, uh, uh, you mentioned the last frame is, uh, viewing up on a, uh, a display up by the pilots. Some obvious foreshadowing. Probably brought that up in the, I think, either the second or third minute, just that motif of, like, watching, of, like, being watched or characters watching others, and, right? And here's the chopper in front being watched.
1: Uh, the last thing
2: I have for this minute is the script difference, and really everything else is the same in the script. The only difference is, uh, instead of Grabbing a handful of tobacco, of loose <laughs> tobacco, um, Blaine is just cutting off like a block of tobacco. Yeah. Pictures of this and that stuff looks nasty. Oh, just a
1: big and, old block of And he has no, tobacco. he has no spitting container that we can see. So we are to assume he's either spitting on the floor or just, uh, just gutting it. I don't know. <laughs> well, I got
2: good news that. Uh, the answer to your question will be answered in the very next minute.
1: Oh, I'm excited. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think 10 minutes in is Yep, Spoiler. Spo-
1: <laughs> Spoiler much for the tobacco. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> As kind of a, a continuing color palette in the movie. I had never really thought about that before, but even the cover of the of the movie right like the the VHS box right is kind of red and green um
2: a lot of war movies are like this yeah uh, i remember uh seeing an interview with Steven Spielberg he's done you know obviously like Saving Private Ryan really notably uh he says post production they crank up the green and red mm. uh
0: it so makes sense it's makes a cause it's, it's such a high contrast
2: those, yeah high contrast yeah really Right, the red really stands out when we see it, uh, in the jungle in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, if, if, are we ready to wrap it up? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you have, um, experience chewing tobacco or riding in a helicopter or both, uh, let us know. Uh, you can email us at <laughs> predatorminute at com. You can let us know through Twitter and Facebook, both using the handle at predatorminute. We are hosted on SoundCloud, Podcast Republic, and I'm learning more and more people are finding this through just whatever native app they usually use for uh, podcasting. So for Predator Minute, I'm John. I'm Aaron.
1: And I'm Jeff. Thanks for having me. This was great.
2: Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, Jeff, maybe you can come back next week.
1: I'd love to. That'd be great.
2: All right. Cool. So until next time... Stick around! Story, Jeff,